As we begin this morning, I want to show you a number, and it's an important number. It's a number that has affected you already today, whether you know it or not. Here's the number. It's the number 64. I promise you today that this number has already had a personal impact on your life. You say, well, what's this number all about? Well, th this is a number of unique serving opportunities every Sunday morning here at St. Paul's Bible Church that allows us to have worship services, kids programs, and Sunday school afterwards where people can encounter the presence of the living God. Now, I, I know that we're not a mega church, but I want you to know and to think about this for just a moment here, every Sunday morning when we gather together, there are 64 unique serving opportunities that take place here. And some of them already started before we even began this morning. Our, our services start at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. But people get up even before that and come here at 9 in order to unlock the building and to turn on the lights and to uh, put signs out so that people know where they're supposed to go. There are people who get up at nine, uh, get up and come here before 9 o'clock in order to set up coffee time and uh, drinks and snacks um, after, for us after the service. Other people get here early um, for children's church and for the nursery to serve the families who are here to worship. The worship team uh, gets set up and they practice each week, an hour before the service even begins, and they even practice on Wednesday night, the Wednesday before the service. Others are greeting people as they arrive, driving uh, people who are unable to drive to the services. There, there are many, many volunteer opportunities around here, all the way down to the sound in order that you can hear me speak this morning, and the projector so that you can see things on the screen. And all of these positions are carried out by volunteers, by people who are using their gifts to serve so that we can get together on Sunday mornings and experience the presence of God. You see, some of what we see up here on the stage every weekend, um, it's not just me here, up, uh, up here. What happens at St. Paul's Bible Church on Sundays would not be possible without many of your brothers and sisters in Christ using their gifts to serve us as a family of faith. It, we, we couldn't do it. It just wouldn't happen. And listen, when we talk about 64 volunteer opportunities on Sundays, that's just Sunday mornings. And uh, that does not count all of the other things that happen on Sunday evenings or during the week. That doesn't count things like youth group and Wednesday night programs and uh, small groups and prayer meeting. That, that only counts Sunday morning activities. And they would not happen if it were not for people using the gifts that God had given them to serve this local church. You say, why are you telling us this this morning? Well, two weeks ago, we started a new Sunday school year and a new sermon series with the theme that uh, we've been kind of looking at and focusing on of being fully devoted in fact, last week we started looking at a section of scripture in the book of Acts that examined the early church, the very first church, the church that God used to turn the world upside down. And we noticed a, very, a few very important things that they devoted themselves to and that we need to devote ourselves to as well. Last week we looked at the first of these three things, which is we must seek the Lord. 
We saw that in the early church, they devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. We used the airplane illustration that the wind of the Spirit of God moves in and through among the church. And as, he, as we give priority to the word of God and to prayer, we see that wind ter- carrying us. And that's not just talking about the word of God and prayer in our personal lives, but that's as we come together as a church, that we give priority to the word of God and to prayer. And as we do that, we see God move in our midst. Well, second thing that they devoted themselves that we notice in this passage here that we need to devote ourselves to as well is... Devote, being devoted to serving one another. They were devoted to serving one another. Christ in them had, had given them a love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the ways that, they, that that love was expressed was through serving each other. Do you know why people get here early in order to set up? Do you know why people do that? Well, it's because they love Jesus. And it's because they love you. In love for Jesus, in love for you, they are serving their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I think sometimes people look at the church and even a church like St. Paul's and they'll, they'll say, you know what, the church doesn't really need me. I mean, you guys got a pa- two pastors, you've got elder, an elder board, a trustee board. You don't really need me to do anything around here. Friends, that is not true. Every church has needs, and we're going to talk about that a little bit here this morning. But here is the big idea that I hope that we'll be able to walk away with today. We're going to put this up on the screen. It's this. God meets the needs of the church through gifted people who are in the church. That's how God works. Look, God's design is that the needs of every church are met by God's gifts that he's given to people within the church. And so listen, God has brought you here because you are needed. He has gifted you in order to meet certain needs. And so let's go ahead and look at what God's word has to say about this. If you've got a copy of the word in front of you, You can open it up, or you can grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app. Join me, if you will, though, in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Now, we're reading the same story that we read last week, but we want to jump into this again. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, here's what it says. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... Now, I just want to stop there for a moment. We talked about this last week. That the church was just growing. And when we talk about the fact that they were growing, we're talking, we're saying they were really growing. They they went from a church of uh, 120 people to a church of 20,000 people in six months. They were growing. They were exploding in numbers. Look at what it says next. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, 
whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, we see in the early church that they devoted themselves to a few things that really mattered. And as they did that, God continued in supernatural ways to accomplish his mission through them. And I think that it's good for us to kind of remind ourselves of these things that are most important as well so that God can continue to accomplish his mission in and through us. So, out of these verses, uh, we, we, we just want to focus on the second thing here uh, that, that we want to devote ourselves to, that they devoted themselves to, and that is that we must serve one another. Let me give you two basic statements about this. Here's the first one. Every church has needs. Every church has needs. Where you find people, you find needs. That was true in the first church in the first century. That's true for us here today as well. Now, some needs are what you might call reactive needs, which is serving because of a need that has come up. And That's what we see here in the book of Acts. There was a need that had popped up and people were reactively serving to meet that need. The Bible says that in this particular instance, some people were being neglected. And that's a powerful word picture that's being given here in this word that's translated as neglected. The image here is of a picture of a theater, a theater where you go to watch a play or you go watch a movie and this, is, this story is unfolding. You watch this thing uh, unfold and you're fixated, you're focusing your attention on the story. You're trying to observe and to draw information as you give your attention to it. But this word neglected takes this idea of a theater and says that instead of looking at the story that's going on in, at the theater... You're, you're looking past all of that and you're looking at something else. And so literally what has happened here is that the attention and the focus was looking past certain people and they were being neglected. Now, let me just be honest here this morning. This happens sometimes in church, right? It just does. I mean, you get a lot of people coming together, especially in a situation where things are growing and new people are being added all of the time. And there are going to be situations where somebody gets neglected, where you look at all of these other needs and you look past the things, some of the things that exist right in front of you. And that's exactly what was happening here in the early church. It happened, it happens sometimes in our church, for example... You hear about somebody who is sick or somebody who's gone to the hospital. Nobody else in the church knows about it. And you have to go into reactive mode to try and meet that need by, by being, um, be, beginning to provide some care. And then you're trying to connect that person and you're trying to communicate this to other people so that they're aware of this need. Or 
There's another way that we can react to needs. For example, there's constantly new people who are showing up and coming to the church for the first time. And so you can tell, you can tell they're new. They're new to St. Paul's. They, they don't really know where to go. They don't know maybe where to sit. They're not really sure if they always totally understand what's going on here. And so do you know what you can do in that situation? You can see that as a need. And my prayer is that every Sunday morning as this happens, that we would have our antennas up. We'd be looking for people who are maybe new, who are, uh, seem to be maybe disconnected. And we can uh, reactively begin to I- immediately serve that need by being hospitable and by praying with them and for them, by uh, seeing them and giving them an opportunity to, to connect uh, in this body of believers, try to answer any questions that they might have. So some needs in the fellowship are reactive. Others are proactive. If you notice what happened here in these verses, they reactive, they had a reactive situation, but they developed a proactive ministry out of it. Out of this uh, situation, they selected seven people who are going to lead this new ministry and listen. It's often existing needs in the church that we react to, which are the birthplace of ministries that proactively meet those needs in the future. And so here was a situation where there was a reactive need. And what did they do? Well, they put a ministry in place that was designed to proactively meet that need. And we do these kinds of ministries around St. Paul's as well. There are proactive ministry teams that exist in order to meet needs before they happen. For example, somebody went out and bought coffee and coffee creamer and snacks and put them in the kitchen so that when we we, um, are are finished with church this morning, there will be snacks to enjoy after the service. There are chips and popcorn and little cookies, but after the service, when we have coffee time, you can go and grab those things in the fellowship hall and and snack on them and uh, fellowship with people. Did, did, Did that happen because some kind of a snack fairy showed up and dropped that off at the church? No. Proactively, there were people who are in charge of setting that thing, that stuff up, making sure that we have what we need for coffee time. Another example of proactive ministry today, there are a bunch of young kids who are right now in the rooms that are just off to the side of our our room here. And um, listen, they are doing a whole lot more than just glorified babysitting over there. We have people this week who proactively sat before the Lord who put together a lesson plan, and while we're here worshiping and praying and studying the word, they are taking the gospel and uh, laying it as a foundation in the lives of these boys and girls so that the Holy Spirit can use that to bear fruit in their lives in the weeks and months and years to come. But, But those teachers have proactively prepared to serve in that way. So whether proactive or reactive, every church has needs. Now I want to take that word needs and I want to put it up on the screen here this morning. And I want to show you what I mean by this. The needs in the church, first of all, are numerous. They are numerous. 
We, we talked about the number 64, and that, that's just today. Most of us, most of the unique serving opportunities are not things where we ask people to come and to do this each and every week. Instead, we ask people to serve once a month or maybe twice a month, uh, which means that as um, we have over 250 uh, service opportunities each month, that's just on Sunday mornings. That's not counting all of the other things that happen throughout the week. And so there are numerous needs in the church. But secondly, they are essential. These are needs that must be met. Because if we don't meet these needs, the mission of the church fails to be accomplished in St. Paul's that God desires to have accomplished in and through us. Number three, these needs are endless they never stop. When, when you come back next Sunday, you expect that the church is going to be relatively clean. And you expect that that pew is going to be there so that you can sit in it. That, that, that's just how it is. I mean, these needs are continuous. Number four, they are diverse. There is a variety of different kinds of needs. Some of them are physical needs, and some are financial, and some are emotional, some are spiritual, some are relational there are all kinds of needs that need to be met. But here is the last one. All of these needs are significant. You, you see, every need matters because every person matters. Every person matters. Listen, every church has needs. But secondly, I want you to notice here that, that God has a plan to meet the needs of every church. And let, let me remind you here of the big idea again. God meets the needs of the church through gifted people who are in the church. We, we read about this here in Acts chapter 6. Some people were being overlooked. Some people weren't getting cared for. And so they come together and they look and they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And in verse 3 there, it says, The disciples said, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you. Seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint for, to this duty. Here's what they did not say. They did not say, put together a search committee and go out there and find some people. No, they said, look inside the church that already exists. Because God has given gifts to people inside the church family in order to meet the needs. Friends, the answer to the need of the church was not to look outside, but to look inside the fellowship. And God had gifted people in that fellowship. He raised them up in order that they might meet that need. Now, some of you might be reading this and you read some of these names and you say, yeah, they one of them was Stephen. I mean, Stephen was the first martyr in the church. Acts chapter 8, his name goes down in history as the one who gave his life for the gospel. And then there's like Philip. Philip was this evangelist. And, and he, he was the one who took the gospel to the continent of, Asia, of Africa. So, you know what? I'm no Stephen or I'm no Philip. I don't, I don't have a name like that. I'm not gifted like that. And that's true. We're not all gifted in the same way, but Peter, who uh, was the one who was one of the twelve here in Acts six, wrote a couple of letters to the church, 
And I want you to just see what he says, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. He said, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied gift. So, to kind of help us draw this home, I, I want to point out two principles from this verse that um, was written by Peter, who experienced this in Acts chapter 6, and who is now giving instructions to the church today. Here are the two principles. The first one is this. You have been given a grace gift. You have been given a grace gift. He says, as each has received a gift. Literally, that is a grace gift. We could translate it as that. If you study the original Greek language here, that, that word gift, it's the root word of it is the word grace. And grace speaks about something that we don't deserve, something that we can't earn, something that is not because of our talent or ability or skill. And the Bible says that every believer has been given a grace gifting, which means this. At the moment of salvation, the moment that you came to know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of you. And when he came to live inside of you, he uniquely gifted you to serve the body of Christ. Spiritual gifting, grace gifting is not a natural talent or ability. It is a supernatural enablement that's given to us when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. When you read through the New Testament, you read about over uh, 25 different spiritual gifts that are mentioned. And I don't think that's an exhaustive list either. I think that what the New Testament does is that it gives us a sampling of the kinds of ways that we have been gifted as believers. The Bible mentions things like mercy, helping, administration, leading, giving and receiving, caring, teaching, and all of these different gifts. You say, well, who has these gifts? The answer is simple. Peter, 1 Peter says, as each has received a gift, meaning that every single person has a gift. Wayne Grudem, he said this uh, about this. He, he said, each implies that every person in the fellowship of believers in every church to which Peter was writing had received a spiritual gift for use in the life of the church. And here's what that means. Nobody got left out. If you know Jesus, then you have been supernaturally grace gifted by God to serve the body of Christ in accomplishing the mission of God in the world. Now, I want to give you an equation here to kind of help uh, picture this once. We're going to put this up on the screen. The first word of this equation is the word saved, saved. To be saved means that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. You, you have put your faith in Jesus. You have been born into a relationship with God. That's what it means to be saved. Friends, if you are here today and you have been saved, I want you to just raise your hand. And, and just keep it up for a moment here, okay? It, but, but put your hand up if you have already been saved, that, that you have a relationship with God. Or th put your hand up if you um, are uh, going to spend eternity in heaven. Okay? Now you can put your hands down. Th this is not some kind of complicated equation here. But 
saved equals, and here's the other half of this, say it with me, gifted, gifted. Saved equals gifted. Now, here's what this means. If you raised your hand, you said, yes, I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have been forgiven of my sins. I've been born again. The spirit of God lives inside of me. Then that means that you have been gifted, which means that every single member of the family of God is valuable. Every one of us matters. Every one of us is essential. Paul writes about this, 1 Corinthians, where he uses this illustration to describe the church as a body, the body of Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here's what he says. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. You know, imagine coming to church today. You sit down in a pew, and the person sitting next to you is like a big, giant eyeball. I mean, you notice that. You'd probably like get up right away and kind of move somewhere else because that's kind of weird, right? We're not just one body part. It takes all of the parts of the body working together, right? The eyeball is no good if the legs aren't there to get it to the place that it needs to go, right? What Paul's saying here is that it takes all of the body parts working together. He goes on to say, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hear, be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Friends, listen, your unique assignment is a part of the way that God is accomplishing his big purpose for us here at St. Paul's Bible Church. You see, God designed St. Paul's Bible Church in order to accomplish his mission both locally and globally. And we will never accomplish that mission without every one of us using the gifts that we have been given in order to serve the body of Christ. Let me give you a story that will hopefully bring home this idea to you. In the 1930s, there was a famous preacher by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham. Interesting name, interesting guy, but he was used mightily by God. As a matter of fact, in the life of his ministry, historians tell us that over 200,000 people in America in the 1930s came to know Jesus through his preaching ministry. Mordecai Ham was so famous that when he would come into a community, he would set up a tent. The community would uh, be invited out to come to this tent, and people would come to this tent and listen to him preach the gospel. In 1934, he set up a tent in a uh, rural community in North Carolina. And just like what had happened everywhere that Mordecai Ham went, it filled up so full that there were no seats left in the place. Two teenage boys, two young teenage boys showed up to come hear Mordecai Ham preach that day. But there were no seats left in the building. And so these two teenage boys, they're looking around. They keep looking around and 
They can't find anywhere to sit, and so they start to leave. And as they're leaving, the usher, one of the ushers stops them from leaving, and he says, you know what? Don't leave. I'll find you a place to sit. And so he walks down to the front, and he uh, finds a, 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 a... a a row of seats and he tells the people move in move in move in They, they move in and these two boys he creates a seat for these two teenage boys well Mordecai Ham got up preached the gospel he gave an invitation for people to come to the front and to receive Jesus Christ those two teenage boys both came and they gave their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ that night two of the 200,000 now You've probably never heard of Mordecai Ham before today, but I promise you that you have heard of one of those two teenage boys. We actually have a picture of him, but his name is Billy Graham. Now listen, in his lifetime, Billy Graham sometimes preached to crowds where there were as many as 200,000 people in one crowd. In his lifetime, Billy Graham saw tens of millions of people hear the gospel, millions of people come to faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Let me ask you a question. Who gets the reward in heaven for the ministry of Billy Graham? Is it Billy Graham? I mean, listen, Billy Graham went went home to be with the Lord like five years ago. I'm sure that he received many rewards from the Lord for the preaching that, that he faithfully carried out over all of those years of his ministry. But who gets the greater reward? Is it Billy Graham or is it Mordecai Ham? Billy Graham would never have heard the gospel if it weren't for Mordecai Ham faithfully preaching the gospel. Is it Mordecai Ham who gets the reward or is it the usher? You see, if the usher hadn't used his gift in a reactive way in order to uh, stop those boys from leaving, and, and if he hadn't gone up and uh, taken some initiative to move some people over and to create some space, we may never heard of Billy Graham. You see, it takes the usher, it takes the guy who drove the tent pegs to set the tent up, It takes Mordecai Ham. It takes Billy Graham. It is all of us using our gifts in service to the body in order to carry out the mission of God. Every member of the body is valuable. John MacArthur would say it this way. Every believer's spiritual giftedness is unique as if each were a spiritual snowflake or fingerprint. It is as if God dips his paintbrush into different colors or categories of gifts in his spiritual palette and paints each Christian a unique blend of colors. All of us have gifts. You have been gifted. There's a second principle here, though, that I want you to to know. You are responsible to use that grace gift to serve others. You're responsible to use that grace gift in order to serve others. Again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it, employ it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
The, the way that that word is used in the text here implies that, that, that we are constantly looking for opportunities to serve in the family of God, which I think is super interesting. Because I think that some people in the church sit back and say, yeah, well, I'm not going to serve because no one's asking me to serve. But the Bible says that you don't have to be asked. No, when you see a need, God is graciously giving you a gift to meet that need. Have you ever heard anybody say this before? I know I have. I've gotten emails about it. But somebody sees a need in the church and here is the question they ask. What's going on? I mean, why didn't the church do something about this? Friends, listen, the church is not a building. The church is not a staff. Listen to me. We are the church. So when somebody says to me, why didn't the church do something? I want to respond by saying, well, that's a good question. Why didn't you? As has it ever occurred to you that maybe God showed you the need so that the church would do something about it? We are the church. We have the privilege of taking our grace gifts, using them to serve the body. And as we serve the body, the mission of God is accomplished in the church. One more thing from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, so it is. Uh, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Friends, we have been given so much. And because of that, we need to allow Christ, who is in us, to use us to serve others. I want to close with a final illustration here this morning. What is this? It's a pot, right? I, I mean, it's an ordinary, average kitchen pot. Now, the unique thing about a kitchen pot is that it, it is designed to contain something, and something is to be poured into it for personal consumption. That's the purpose of a kitchen pot. Uh, you, you put something in it, and you can hold it, and it's used to uh, uh, hold what you want to personally consume out of this. As a matter of fact, if something gets out of the kitchen pot, we have a word for that. It's a mess, right? And somebody's got to clean up that mess then. Because this pot is designed to hold what you put in it to be personally consumed by the one who, um, who's put something into that pot. There are lots of people who come to church and they come like a kitchen pot and they say things like, hey, fill me up, Lord. I need my word this week. I need my encouragement today. I need that instruction. Lord, fill me up. And we take that pot and we take it home. Throughout the week, we personally consume it. And, and then we come back the next week and we, we say again, Lord, fill me up! There's a whole lot of kitchen pots in the church. But I want to show you another kind of pot. This pot is a watering pot. Now, this watering pot it still has to be filled because if there's nothing in it, it's not really any good, right? It needs to be filled 
But it's not filled just so that I can personally consume it. It's being filled so that I can uh, pour it out, right? You see, the watering pot is designed to be poured into, but what's being poured into it is designed to then be poured out of it in service to the church. Let me ask you a question today. Are you a kitchen pot or are you a watering pot? Here's what the Bible says. As good stewards of God's grace that that has so filled our lives, we are to find our place to serve. And it's going to be different for all of us. And, And listen, there may be seasons where we are going to have to step away for a moment and be a kitchen pot. There are seasons where we need some rest and we need to be replenished. There are seasons for that, but in just the normal rhythm of the Christian life. We're not to be a kitchen pot, but we are to be a watering pot. And look, I know that many of you here this morning are serving around the church and in the community of faith. I'm not telling you that you need to do more things, but... To those who maybe aren't really currently serving in any way, what I would say to you is how could you be more like a watering pot where the grace of God is filling you up and then using you to pour into the lives of other people for his glory? Friends, here's what I know. We will never be able to accomplish the mission that God has given us as a church Unless all of us are using our gifts in service to the body so that the mission of God may be accomplished. 